Welcome to Fourth Avenue Church. Welcome to the highest day, the highest holy day in the Christian calendar. We have our stories, we have our traditions, and we celebrate this day because it is the day that has changed every other day. The reason we meet as we do here every Sunday, and the reason we live as we do, the reason we give as we do, the reason we share our goods, the reason we lay our lives on the line for the poor, for the dispossessed, for those who are forgotten and overlooked, is because Sunday came. Because Jesus, raising from the dead, is the hinge point of history, the day the universe changed. Everybody has to pick your story. You have to pick a story to walk with, to live with in this world. And it can be a secular story. You have that choice. It can be a holy story. You have that choice. We have chosen the holy. Do we really understand sometimes what we are asking people to believe? If you are here today and you are just riddled with doubts, welcome. We also, from time to time, wrestle with doubts. If you've never had a doubt in your life, please teach us. How do you do that? And for those of you that don't believe at all, but you're here because family tradition, or you're here with your family, welcome. We really appreciate the fact that you came. That says a lot about you, a lot about your character, and we are impressed. Thank you. We will do nothing to embarrass you at all. We will make sure you feel loved and at home because that's what Fourth Avenue Church does. We love everyone who comes in. And if you have come in for the first time today and did not realize this, it's probably good to know it now. You've already been adopted. You are home, this is your family, and we invite you into a story. But to explain our story today, how we go from ugly crosses to life, I want to tell a different story. It's still a Jesus story. It comes out of John chapter 11. Let's look at the first six verses. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. People, this is a hard story. This is not an easy story. Far too often, Christians like to rush through the story to get to the miracle and yell, yay, we won, but you need to remember the story and how we get to the miracle. And the story here is gut-wrenchingly painful. Yes, Jesus has promised us life, but he has not promised to ride into the rescue before we die. He has not promised that we will live our life without scars. He didn't live his life without scars. 
and he showed them to us when he told us to believe. He says this will not end in death, yet we know Lazarus will die. And that bothers us a bit. And so we'll try, to, we'll try to cover for God. And we'll say, yeah, but it doesn't end in death because Lazarus is going to be raised from the dead. And my response to that is always temporarily. Lazarus was raised from the dead. But he's not alive now. He would another time in the future sicken and die like we all do. And yet God says, I, I love you too much to ride into the rescue. I, I love you too much to not let you grow through the pain. It's a hard thing to say, much less to accept. Take a look at the next section, 7 through 16. And then he said to his disciples, remember it's been a couple of days, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you and yet you're going back. And it's, it's interesting the way death is just worn into every part of this story. He says this will not end in death. They don't realize Lazarus is already dead. And then he says, let's go. And they say, don't go, because if you go, they're going to kill you. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. That's a very oblique way of saying something, and that is do what you can do when it is time to do it. Do what you can do with the knowledge that you have, because there are going to be times you're going to stumble when you don't have the time and you don't have the knowledge. So do what you can when you can. After he'd said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Well, Jesus had been speaking of his death, and we'll stop right there for a moment to say, the disciples aren't stupid. They just hadn't read the story. They didn't know how this turns out yet. We need to remember this. They're learning step by step, and in fact, I think that they got it faster and better than I would, than I would have in that whole situation. I'm, I'm impressed by them. When I say, he sleeps so he'll get better, please remember, that was the height of medical knowledge of the day. You know, as long as they're sleeping, they'll be all right. He was speaking of the death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And look at this next verse. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. And let's go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Again, death. But let me, I'd like to do a commercial for Thomas, please. Sometimes we, we think Thomas's first name is Doubting. Stop it. The reason we say that is because Thomas is the one that says, I won't believe he was resurrected unless I place my hand on the scars. Well, if you remember... None of them believed he was resurrected when the women told them. They, they, none of them. And in fact, even after they had a bit of evidence of it, they remained locked in a room, frightened to leave. They wouldn't, they wouldn't go meet Jesus in Galilee as he told them to do. They wouldn't go out and talk to anybody. They stayed locked in a room. It was because Thomas was brave enough to leave the room and go get food for the frightened 
I'll just say frightened. I'm not going to call him cowardly because I'd probably been one of them. One of the frightened people in the room. He missed Jesus. So when he comes back and all the other guys are going, well, you missed Jesus. He was just right here. Seriously. But Thomas is also the only one who volunteered, let's go die with him. And Thomas was also the first one when the Lord was risen to worship him and say, my Lord and my God. I like Thomas. I'd like to grow up to be Thomas, although I'd better hurry. <laughs> For your sake, I was glad I was not there. We want to make sure you understand that the Christian story is not all about triumph. It's not all about flowers and spring and resurrection. The Christian story includes pain and scars and sacrifice. It includes all of those things, but it adds to it life eternal. And it adds to it meaning and purpose and hope and a place to stand when all the world has gone crazy. Because you know who you are. You know who he is. And you know your ultimate end. You can face things with love and without fear. And oh my goodness, this next section, starting at verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. You see the hurt already? One is running out to see Jesus. The other one, he shows up now. We need to understand this story before we can understand Jesus' story. Lord, Martha said to him, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. How many times have we said to God, how many times you could have stopped this? Our brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka are mourning this morning. Seven bombs were set off in churches this morning on Easter. Over 200 confirmed dead by the time I walked in here. Who knows how many others? They might be saying the same thing, Martha. Why didn't you stop it? Why didn't you stop it? God is God. He can create the universe. He could stop a bomber. He could make a detonator fail. He could make somebody be late. He could have done all of it. Why didn't you stop it? That's exactly what Martha is asking. It's a question that Christians are allowed to ask God. Because of the story. Because of the relationship we have to God. We can ask him. She goes, I... You could have stopped this. I imagine that hit Jesus to the quick because he loves them. But then she says, but I, I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Now, there are people that try to spend this and she's saying, Lord, why don't you just resurrect him because you can do that. God will give you whatever you ask. No, that's not what she's asking. Resurrection of Lazarus is not anything even in her mind because that hadn't happened. That isn't what we are used to. She's just saying, I still believe in you, but I'm mad at you. Are you allowed to say that to God? Yes. When Jesus went to church, 
he had a songbook called the Book of Psalms. There are 150 psalms in our collection. Some of the older collections had up to 155 of them. But that's what we've got. And when you look through them, over one-third of them are laments. Songs Jesus sang when he was a boy in synagogue and in temple. Over a third of them were, where are you, God? Why didn't you act? I know God can do anything why didn't he do this? Why didn't he prevent this? Jesus said to her, your, your brother will live again. He'll rise again. Martha says, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. That's what we say to each other, isn't it? At our funerals, and, and you've said it to me at the loss of my father recently, and that's exactly what you should say. It's a good thing to say to each other. It's an encouraging thing, but it doesn't take away the pain, Right? When somebody goes, we'll see them again. We'll see them again. You know we'll see them. Yeah, we will. But that doesn't take away the pain. And it didn't take away the pain here. And Jesus looks at her in the eye and asks her to believe the impossible. The glorious impossible, absolutely. But the absurd of impossible. He looks at her and says, I am the resurrection and the life the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Please understand the position he is putting her in. She is looking at him and behind her is the body of her dead, dearly beloved brother. And Jesus is saying, if you believe in me, you don't die. Do you believe this? Oh my goodness, what are we asking people to believe? When they go out into the world, they know the Easter story. They think it involves a bunny and some eggs somehow, but they, they believe the Easter story. And, you know, I don't mind the bunny and the eggs. God didn't mind us playing and enjoying having fun. But my point is, they don't really sometimes wrap their arms around our story because... What are we asking them to believe? They live on Friday. They don't know Sunday. That's all they've got. And we look at them and say, we know all that pain in your family, the childhood cancer, the loss of a beloved grandfather. We know about the accident. We know about all of that. But do you believe that those who live with Jesus will never die? What are we asking them to say? That, yeah, we went through all that pain, but that's okay. God never, ever says you're supposed to wave it off as it's at nothing. Ever. But he will ask you to believe the impossible. The question we ask is hard. Let's put up our scripture again. That 17 through 26, that last bet. That I want to look at the 26 and then we'll come into 27 if we can backtrack. Can we do that? I know it's tough. If we can't, it's fair enough. We'll, there we go. Let's move to the next slide. I want you to go from 26 to 27 with us. And, and next one, there you go. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now let's look at the next one. What does she say? 
Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who's come into this world. And after she said this, she went back and called her sister. What's going on? She didn't say, yes, Lord, I believe that. I've got that. No, she hedges. What I believe is that you're the Messiah. I believe you have the potential to keep this pain from us, but you didn't. She didn't say that out loud, but he knows what she said. He's hurting too. And this is the time where she just can't even take this anymore. She, she goes back and calls her, her sister Mary aside, says, the teacher is here, he's asking for you. Very quickly. Is he? <laughs> There's no indication. She needs reinforcements. She wants out of this awkward, painful conversation. And she wants somebody else there. So she brings Mary. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Look at this. Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still in a place where Martha had met him. There was an old song we used to sing back in the day, and we still sing it here on, our, on, on months that have a fifth Sunday. We go all a cappella and old, old songs, and it's, it's, it's very nice. It's nice to visit the classics. And there's a song that, Does Jesus care when my heart is pained? You were too burdened for mirth and song. And the, the chorus, the refrain comes back. Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. You're starting to see the grief. He couldn't even move. He couldn't even approach. He had stopped where he was. He couldn't walk. Have you grieved that much? I know I have, and I think many of you have. That's painful. He is stuck in place, like much of many of us are. When the Jews had been with Mary in the house comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And I love those Jewish people because they weren't going to let her mourn alone. And you need that kind of backup, don't you? You need that community. And they're going with her. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. You know that feeling? And said, oh wait, we've seen this before. It's exactly what Martha said. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When a child drowns in just a few inches of water in a bathtub because we turned our backs for a moment. A moment. When a family dies because the driver took their eyes off the road just for a second and crossed the median and hits them. Lord, you could have stopped this. It's only a little plug. It's a two-ounce plug. You could have pulled it. Lord, it's only two seconds later. You could have made it two seconds later. What's God's response? When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked, come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Now, these aren't little tears that kind of, you know, fall down. These are racking sobs. They had a lot of words that we don't have that are very specific words. These are sobbing words. And when they say, come and see where we laid him, it doesn't mean... Uh, Semitic languages are very indirect. It doesn't mean... Well, let's show you where the grave is. It means you need to see what happened. 
because you weren't here. You need to see what happened because you delayed coming. You healed others. You need to see what happened to the one you loved. God is troubled. God does not like disappointing us. He doesn't. He, like any parent, or let's make it even better, grandparent, wants the children to be happy. But if you always ride into the rescue, what kind of child do you get? If they can't do their homework, so you do it. They can't do the science fair, so you do it. You're always doing it. You're always riding into the rescue. What kind of person are we raising here? We need to raise somebody who understands pain, difficulty, and how to stand up and push through. God doesn't like disappointing us. He's hurt when he sees us cry. The Jews said, see how he loved them. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? You see, doubt's part of the, the story. Doubt is part of the process. Not once, but again and again. We ask the same question. And we need to talk about the why. Oh yes, let's look at the next section. Story ends in joy. That's where we always rush to. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, Martha said, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's been a bad odor, for he's been there four days. Now, again, Semitic language is very indirect. In fact, they, they don't even have what we would refer to as curse words. And they will do a flowery backdoor curse to you. Uh, I think it was little Jimmy Dickens or something back in the day in Nashville did that with May the Bird of Paradise Fly Up Your Nose. It's, it's a whole, it's, we got we to wrap, we got we to gotta find a way to, to insult. Here, Martha isn't saying, oh, that would be unpleasant for the group. She understands that if they open that tomb, Jesus as a rabbi, a teacher, is now ritually unclean according to the traditions of the day. And he would have to be removed from them to go through a period of cleansing. Jesus doesn't care about the rules when love is involved. Love trumps law with Jesus every single time. He said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with straps of linen, cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes, let him go. Wow, what a story. It ends with joy for a time. Please remember this. Not to negate the great joy of the miracle, but we have to put, this is a human story. Lazarus will later sicken and die or die of accident or the like, and God will not ride to the rescue when that happens. Why? Because God did not come to save us from accident, illness, pain, and death. He came to give us a life, eternal life, right now. 
possessing it right now, your body will fall. It will be scarred. But you will not carry those scars for eternity. He gives you a life that survives death. There's another story, a very troubling story, of when Abraham, and we, I know we have little ears in the room, so we're not going to upset any little ears. And by the way, if your baby is making noise, cool. We love babies. They are not upsetting us. If you get in a church where there are no baby sounds, it's a dying church. So every time we, we're, we run low on baby sounds, we preach on Song of Solomon and about the joy of marriage and all of that. And because you, you got to replenish the believers, people. And so if you're new and you came today and you're thinking, oh, the babies don't know how to behave in the building, this is not holy. Your babies are holy. We're glad they're here. All right, moving on. There's a story of Abraham who was told to sacrifice his son Isaac. They climb up a mountain. It's a very troubling story. So he's about to sacrifice Isaac, and God stops him and provides a different sacrifice. Now, what Abraham did not know was that many centuries later, that mountain where he climbed up would have a city on top of it, a city called Jerusalem. And the same God that stopped that sacrifice would see his son sacrificed on that mountain and nobody would stop him. But as Abraham said to Isaac, when Isaac said, where's the sacrifice? He said, Yahweh Jireh, the Lord will provide. And the Lord provided. And it was ugly. It was ugly. It was Friday. It was also Saturday, the period of numbness in between, the, where you start trying to deal with your new reality, nobody rode to the rescue for Jesus. And then we come to the Easter story, the story that brings us together today. We're not going to go into the gory details. You know the story. But Jesus is subjected to every single injustice a man can experience. False arrest, mob mistreatments, Beatings, the scourge, the crown of thorns, illegal trials in the middle of the night, no food or water, humiliation at every turn, and no advocate, no one to speak for him. But let me say this. Can you imagine a more thoroughly systematic mistreatment of a human being ever than what he went through for that long period of sham trials and humiliation. We don't even allow people to do that to animals, nor should we. And that is the point, though. God did not ride to Jesus' rescue. And so we should not be surprised when he does not ride to ours. Did God suffer during this? Did he hurt? Absolutely. The earth shook. The lights went out. There was a period of darkness. Whenever my children once asked me, what did that mean? I said, God the Father couldn't even look anymore. He had to turn off the lights. He is a father. He loves. He loves fiercely. This was hard on God too. And when Jesus rose on the third day, 
He turned the ugliness, the ashes into beauty. And he walked with us and he talked with us and he showed us, this is so very important, his scars. Yeah, he got scars. God did not keep his beloved son from receiving scars and he will not keep you from getting them either. As a wise man once told me, scars are just tattoos with better stories. He will let you have a scar. Because you know what a scar means? Whether it's mental, emotional, cultural, or physical. A star says, or rather a scar says, something in the universe tried to kill you and failed. You survived when it tried to go for you. And God will help you live forever with your scars. Those scars will be exchanged one day for a crown. Now, if you're a visitor here, our ugly crosses up front have a point to them. There's one up top, and then there are two down here. In a moment, we're going to take communion. I'm going to set it up now, and then we're going to have some readings. We're going to do a recitation of what we believe, and then there will be a call to come to the tables. Any of you may come. We especially invite all who believe what we believe. And we will state what we believe in just a moment. But it is God's table, not ours. We would not deny any of you. There's a bit of bread that you take to remember the body of Christ given for us. And the body of Christ now is his church. And we call you to join us, not just today, but every week. And then there's a little cup, a little bit of grape juice. It reminds us of the blood of Christ. It tastes sweet to us, but it was a bitter thing for him to taste. We remember that, and we thank God for it. Last week, we took communion in silence, in mourning, in anticipation. Today, it's going to get noisy. Now, not because we're going to make the noise as a, as a group up here. No, it's because all of you who believe the story have the right to rejoice. You have the right to say, our God lives, our Jesus reigns. And so, after you've taken this, you will see people bringing flowers and weaving them into the crosses. And they will become huge, complex bouquets where they used to be ugly, now they're over the top pretty. People will take pictures. That's fine too. Don't try to pose them yet because other people are trying to get to them and we don't want them to run you over and then we have to be, you know, why God didn't stop that. So, <laughs> after you've taken communion and woven this in, if you could ease back a bit, let other people get to it. After our service is, is closed, because after a certain amount of time, Mark will get up with his team. They'll lead us in a song. You don't have to be sitting quietly, staring forward. Wherever you are, join in the song. After uh, people are seen to be done taking pictures, they are going to be moved outside. We're going to ask for some people with good, strong backs. Weak minds are no problem, but strong backs are required to carry the crosses and place the crosses out front as a testimony to all of those who were not in our building today, that scars are not, pain are not, 
our God reigns and we will live forever. I'm going to call my readers forward if I could, please. If you would take your place in front. And as they do so, I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word and for the recitation of the Apostles' Creed. And readers, when you are ready, please take the mic and begin. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Amen. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered and said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Romans 6, 22 and 23. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Amen. And if you could recite with me, you can place the microphone back, that's fine. Thank you. If you will, the readers and I will lead you through the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, the third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Father, we come to these tables 
to take the bread, to take the cup in remembrance of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And we who have chosen the Jesus story declare our allegiance, our loyalty once again to you. Father, thank you for eternal life. Thank you for your son. In the holy name of Jesus, the whole church says, amen. Come to the table.